they've been letting me preach under the table for some time. Um, now it's official. Um, I'll just warn you off, off the bat. Our message today is very heavy. Um, it's a very heavy message because we are going to join Job in the dungeon um, in his darkness. Good? Uh, we're going to join Job in his sorrow. And it's going to be hard. But we thank God but that's not all God has to say about suffering and sorrow and the dungeon. And that God actually joins us in the dungeon. So today, uh, our message is from Job chapter 7. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Job chapter 7 says, Has not God, has not man a hard service on earth? And are not his days like the days of a hired hand? Like a slave who longs for the shadow, and like a hired hand who looks for his wages, so I am allotted months of emptiness, and nights of misery are apportioned to me. When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise? But the night is long. And I am full of tossing to the dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him anymore. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth 
you will seek me, but I shall not be. That's the word of God. Let me pray. Lord, um, this is a heavy word, but we thank you that you have put it in your word, that we might know that you are a God of the dungeon. You're a God of those who are heavy laden, and you're a God who is not afraid to join us there. So Lord, as I bring your word to your people, I pray that they would meet you in the dungeon, that as you redeem us and bring us out of the dungeon, we would remember that you are our God, and we are your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Nine months before Rosa Parks protested on a Montgomery bus, 16-year-old Claudette Calvin was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on the bus as well. For years, her story was not as publicized for very strategic reasons. What was the strategy, you might ask? Well, if you were a civil rights lawyer and you had the choice to pick between a 16-year-old who got pregnant by another man's another woman's husband, and Rosa Parks, who has a clean record, and a law-abiding citizen, who would you pick? It would even be harder to convince the world that a 16-year-old from Sandtown with four prior arrests for car theft deserves any mercy when there is a dead police officer involved. At the end of her book, The New Jim Crow, Michelle Alexander despairingly notes that one of the reasons why the NAACP does not take up cases with prison reform is the fact that if you had limited resources, would you spend it on criminals? Or would you spend it on people who are doing the right thing and trying to come up in life? Of all people, you would think God would understand that it is bad press to punish the righteous. It's bad advertisement. But at the heart of our religion, get this, at the heart of Christianity, it's a righteous man dying, being punished for sins he did not commit. The book of Job is problematic for any youth pastor in the city trying to convince kids that if you obey the law and if you are faithful to God, he will reward you with good things. That's hard medicine to sell. (laughs) You can sprinkle some sugar on it, but the book of Job is problematic. Our youth are not stupid. They look around. They see that people who are trying to do their best also get caught in the crossfire. Surely you'll feel cheated if you came home from youth group with a God who does not distinguish between good people and bad people. Surely you'll feel cheated if you had a God who does not have enough information and lumps the righteous with the unrighteous and treats them the same way. 
See, Job was a man among men. God literally said of the man, there is none like him on earth, a blameless and an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Here's a man with a clean record. Here's a man who could literally stand in front of God and say, and say I have kept your law. I have obeyed your commandments. A Rosa Parks, as it were. See, you can accuse Job of misusing his privilege because he was generous to the poor and needy. He looked out for the widows and the orphans. If you read Job 31, you can read it for homework. You don't have to turn to it now. You'll see that here's a man who could literally stand before God and say, I have kept my heart pure. I have sought you with all that I have. He could stand in front of a judge and say, I'm a law-abiding citizen. See, none of Job's female employees could accuse him of any misconduct. See, if Job, if the IRS were looking through Job's record, they won't find any squeaky deals. See, if Job was running for office, the only accusations his opponents could bring before him is the fact that he is not like us mere men. <laughs> he doesn't struggle with what we struggle with. Why vote for him? He cared not only for his sins, but he even cared for the sins of his children. He sacrificed for the sins of his children. He didn't make excuses for them. He didn't blame the system. He didn't blame the world out there. Yet, yet what was his reward for all of this? See, Job was a pious man, but he was no dummy. See, Job was doing his religious math, and things were not adding up. Job was weighing God, and God was coming up short. God had written a check that bounced. See, Job saw something and could not restrain his mouth any longer, so he had to say something. Job came to court swinging. He had three charges against God, which are the three points of the message, by the way. The first point is this. The first charge is this. Why have you made man's life so hard? Why have you made man's life so short? And why do you treat man so harshly, God? And the point that I want us to get from this message is this. As deep as the dungeon is, as hard it is to hear some of these words from Job, God is going to respond to these charges. God will be vindicated. So in our passage today, Job is totally losing his religion. See, although Job was a man among men, he was still a man. See, God had given Satan the ability and the right to test Job, push him to the edge. And guess what Satan did? He pushed him as close to the edge as he could. 
Perhaps you find yourself very close to the edge today. Maybe not today, but there will come a day. There will come a day. There will come seasons where you will be very close to the edge. And I want you to know that you'll find a friend in Job. See, Job saw something fishy going on with God and the world, and he wanted to say something. He could not hold it in any longer, which brings me to my first point. In chapter 6, Job responds to his friend Eliphaz, the Temanite, accusation that Job could not swallow his own medicine. He was quick to respond to people's suffering and hurt. He was able to tell them what verse and verse number and chapter, book to go to in the Bible. But when it's his turn to take his own medicine, he's not able to do it. Eliphaz might be right. But wisdom says this is probably not the time to bring that up. Yet in chapter 7, the chapter we're looking at today, Job stops addressing his friend. Let me say that one more time. Job stops addressing his friend. Job stops addressing his friend and turns to God. Sometimes we need to stop addressing our friends and turn to God. Job's accusation of God is this. What is your deal with man? So in verse 1, he says, Has not man a hard service on earth? Are not his days like the days of the hired hand, like a slave who longs for the shadow and like a hired hand who looks for his wages? See, Job is getting very impatient with his situation. He's getting very impatient with his friends. He's getting very impatient with his God. He continues, I am allotted months of emptiness, and nights of misery are apportioned me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night is long, and I am full of tossing till the dawn. Job was having one of those days. Actually, he was having one of those seasons. The days were too long. He could not wait for the night. And the nights were too long. He could not wait for the day. And you might ask, but Job, you lived in luxury all your life. What do you know about life as a migrant worker? What do you know about a laborer's wages? What do you know about slavery? To which Job would respond, who cares? Who cares? Since when was it a crime to have good things? Since when was it wrong to work hard and get rewarded for it? Is God's plan for man to live below the poverty line? Is that what righteousness is? What's the point of cleaning up my act and pursuing God if there's no reward for it? I never use my money as an excuse to oppress anyone. I know I haven't. 
See, I know Dr. King said that undeserved suffering can be redemptive, but when do you just say this is ridiculous, God? See, unexplained suffering scares us because it makes us all vulnerable, whether we've been righteous or not. See, like Job, most of us believe in a form of prosperity gospel that with enough devotion and good behavior, God will reward us and those around us. The book of Job dashes that completely. Actually, in fact, that's not how it works. See, wisdom says life is more complicated than that. With enough devotion and faithfulness to God, you might actually become a target. Look at the heart of our gospel. Like, look at the heart of Christianity. Are you unsettled yet? Good. I was. <laughs> I'm going to express some of the love. <laughs> There's light at the end of the tunnel, though. Just hang on with me. This brings me to my second point. Why have you made man's life so short? In verse, in verse 6, Job says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to, an end, come to the end without hope. And that's a, that's a picture of a, so the weaver's shuttle is the wooden thing that goes in and out. Job is basically saying, before I realize it, it's over. It's done. It's done. In verse 7, he says, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. See, Job observes that life is actually a sprint, not a marathon. See, I've never met an older person who has said, well, I know I'm 90 years old. It just took me so long to get here. It's almost always, man, time moves so fast. See, in old age, you just realize that you just don't have enough time. See, the saying is not as popular as it used to be, but for a minute there, I think the whole world finally realized it finally dawned on them that you only live once and became a catchphrase. And the conclusion was that because you only live once, live it to the fullest. Whatever you think fullest means. But we all know you only live once. How much time do you really have? See, Job seems to be reminding God that not only has he made life an uphill trek with no shade at all, but that life comes to an end before you realize it. See, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. 
the statistical sample is 100%. We are all heading for a very grim future where everything starts to get affected by gravity. When things don't work as they probably used to. Are you waiting for a later time to get serious with God? The Bible is saying, later might be never. You might not get that later time. Looking at how man suffers, how Job is suffering, Job lost sight of the eternal. Not only did he lose sight of who he was in relation to God, but he also started to put all his eggs into the basket of this world. Pastor Craig um, has shared with me, I haven't looked into this, that the last few days of people's lives is when they spend the most money trying to preserve their life, trying to squeeze as much as they can from life. As it's been mentioned, I just got licensed to preach, and for some reason it just finally dawned on me that my job is to remind people of the thing that they really don't want to think about. <laughs> that life is short. And that you don't know whether you have the next two hours even. Do you? <laughs> Do you know what will happen on your car ride home? You don't. But none of us walk around thinking about these things because it's depressing. <laughs> it's very depressing. It's sad. Whether you're one or two or three or 70 or 80 or 90, you don't know if you have the next two hours even. And it's my job and privilege to remind you of that. <laughs> They've licensed me to remind you of that. <laughs> See, a philosopher or a cynic might tell you that with the fact that life is short, it's neither good or bad. It just is, and you just deal with it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Don't believe them. It matters if life is short. It matters if we don't know whether we have the next hour or two. See, you train differently for a marathon than you do a sprint. I like neither. I don't like either, but you still train differently from what I hear. <laughs> Ironically, I believe no genre of music captures this better than rap music. Rappers, most of the time, are coming from nothing to something. They have to squeeze everything they can into whatever they have because they don't know how long they'll be king of the hill. They don't know how long they'll be relevant. So everything has to be fast. Fast cars, fast money, fast relationship. I have to get everything I can and then can everything I get and then sit on it. And anyone that gets in my way, will be destroyed. 
And I have a lingering suspicion that even the kids that live in the suburbs <laughs> feel the same way. You can't hide from the reality that life is very short. If life is short, how do we train for it? See, you didn't know that Job was a rapper, did you? But like most rappers, Job is speaking from the anguish of his soul, from the despair that he's feeling, from the fact that he sees so much from God, a possibility, but is not able to reach it. Why is life so hard? Why is life so short? So in verse 11, he exclaims, Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. See, Job's anger and impatience is not misplaced because at least he is talking to God, right? But do you notice the one person that Job has not accused or pointed the finger at? The one who's been at work all along. The one who's behind the scenes making things happen. The one through whom Job's friends have been accusing him. See, Satan is mentioned 14 times in the book of Job. Only in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Never to be heard from again. Not on the lips of Job's friends. Not on the lips of Job. Not even on God's lips. I'm going to talk about deep state, working behind the scenes. That's a, deep, that's a very deep state. Unfortunately, Job's friends do not stop telling him, you got what you deserve. You've been running from the law all along, and finally, it's caught up to you. See, if Job was a rapper who have a tattoo on himself that says, only God can judge me. And his friends would say, yes, God has judged you. Which brings me to my last point. God, why have you made man's life so harsh? See, the book of Job is, is actually not about personal sin. If, if it were, there will be very few chapters. Because as soon as Job opens his mouth, God will show up. And tell him, but you're a sinner. Everything you have is more than you deserve. God will show up and tell Job, how dare you talk to me like that? Who do you think you are? See, but, but God knows something about Job's heart. God knows that Job is assuming something about God, which is the fact that he is good. See, the knowledge that Job had in his head was not matching up with his reality. But at least he's starting from a good place. He's been paying attention in Sunday school. God is good. 
and his steadfast love endures forever. But why, God? <laughs> I think Job's charges are more like a cry in despair. Even his misdirected anger at God is a whisper of a man wrestling with God. And we praise God that he's given us this example to show us that he's not afraid of our raw emotions. They don't scare him. See, he, he's starting to, 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 to get very impatient with God, but God lets him. Praise God that he lets us, right? He lets us be us. He lets us be real. Job is asking for an audience with God. He complains that God has made his life a living hell, that God has made him a target, that God is being unfair to mankind. Now, it's false to assume that Job has this theology that says everything is going to work out for good and that everything is going to be sunshine and roses. See, I think Job knew that from time to time you might get the flu, Right? From time to time, you might stub your toe. Someone might hit you in traffic. Right? That's not Job's struggle, that the fact that he goes to church every Sunday doesn't prevent him from dealing with just the common struggle that every human being struggles with. Job's struggle is that this has to be way too much for whatever I've done. Because I know I haven't done anything wrong. Why are you so harsh with man, oh God? That was Job's cry. So in verse 12, he says, am I, am I the sea or am I the sea monster that you set a guard over me? See, in the ancient world, the sea and the sea monsters were the most awesome things they could imagine. And for that reason, the fact that God controls these things was, was enough apologetics to believe in God. If God could create these things and control them, if God could tell the sea how far it could come, man, that's amazing. But for, for, the, for God to treat us like monsters, like he needs to set a guard over us, that's just unfair. That is way too much. So Job continues in verse 17, What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him. Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will, will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I, in verse 20, if I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. <laughs> See, having brought these airtight charges against God, what does God have to say for himself? Well, first, 
we, we thank God that this is not all God says about suffering. Amen? But we also thank God that he's given us a book like Job. Because now we know that God knows what it is to suffer. God knows what we're going through. He's intimately aware. <laughs> he wants us to know that he knows something about a hard life. And he knows something about a short life. And he knows something about paying for sins you did not commit. He knows that the justice system is messed up. But God doesn't get into the weeds of our sin. He doesn't get into the weeds of Job's sin. See, Job was a man among men, but Job was still a sinner. Because we know that everything we have is far more than we deserve. And if God were to truly count Job's iniquities, if God were to truly count our iniquities, where would we stand? How could we speak to him? The Bible tells us that we've all fallen short of God's glory. But I repeat, Job is not about personal sin. It's about how to justify those who've been sanctified deal with suffering. <laughs> See, God is going to ignore the fact that Job is a sinner because he has a solution down the line. He has, he's going to deal with that himself, even including Job's unrestrained words he's spoken in anger. God is going to deal with that. God is going to deal with the raw emotions, the words that were spoken unchecked, the offenses that came out of our mouths in our anger and in, in our anguish. The blood is going to cover that too. That's good news. That's the good news in Jehovah. That's the good news. So what's God have to say for himself? See, it would be wrong to tell Job that when you get to heaven, you'll be able to ask God. The man lost his children. This is not the time for that. N.T. Wright in his book, Evil and the Justice of God, says this. He says, it is not enough to say that God or we will eventually make a new world in which there will be no more pain and crying. That does scant justice to all the evil that has gone before. See, we cannot get to the full solution of the problem of evil by mere progress, as though provided the final generation was happy, the misery of all previous generations could be overlooked or even justified. Yes, I know Job gets all 
that he lost in the end? I know he gets more sons and daughters. But, but what about the ones he lost? What about the ones he lost? So what's the solution? Well, it's the Sunday school answer. It's actually quite simple. It's Jesus. See, the word that Job was asking from God is the, literally the word that God sends in flesh. <laughs> See, if Job is the call, Jesus is the response. See, if Job is the raw emotions, Jesus is the ear that hears all the raw emotions. Jesus is the one that doesn't tell us to just shut up and deal with it. See, if Job embodies the cry of the suffering, Jesus is the hand that wipes away the tears of the suffering. You see, if you were standing in front of the cross of Jesus being crucified between two thieves, you will be dead wrong about what's going on. You will be dead wrong. You would think it's a poor man suffering for no good. Job could not restrain his mouth in his anguish, but Jesus had to restrain his mouth in his anguish. And he never said a mumbling word. Welcome Wagon in the rendition of the hymn he never said a mumbling word, said this. They say, they led him to Pilate's bar. Not a word, not a word, not a word. But he never said a mumbling word. They all cried, crucify. Not a word, not a word, not a word. But he never said a mumbling word. We nailed him up on a tree. Not a word, not a word. He never said a mumbling word. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, we're told, Surely he has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus is the real Job. He's the one who really lived a hard life. His life was cut short. He was the one who was paying for sins he did not commit. See, the only way we can suffer well as Christians is if when we suffer, we realize that we are not just a target. God is not trying to destroy us. We are actually the apple of his eyes. See, we don't suffer as though something strange was happening, that a misfortune just happened to us. We share in Christ's suffering because we realize there is a purpose. It's not ridiculous 
This is truly redemptive suffering. I, I don't know how you suffer. I don't know how you cope with just the craziness of this world. I don't know what you're offering people as a solution for the problems of the world, but offer the world anything less than Jesus, and I tell you, you are cheating the world. Offer your children anything less than Jesus, and I convince you, you're cheating your children. Offer your spouse, your friends, anything less than Jesus. Offer yourself anything less than Jesus, and you are cheating yourself. See, if I, if I could go back and talk to my brother Job, I'll tell him, my brother Job, you can restrain your mouth. Because there's one who's going to carry your burden. See, God is not just so high and lifted that he doesn't get involved with our mess. He gets very, very involved. He literally embodies our suffering. Where would you find such a God? Where would you find such a savior? Where would you find such a friend? Nowhere. Nowhere. Do you feel like you've been crying out and just getting silence back? I want you to know that God has responded. And he will keep responding. Amen? We pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you respond to our cries, that even when we suffer, you join our suffering with that of Jesus, and you redeem it, not because of any good that is in us, but because you are the bomb that is in Gilead. You are the one who cleanses our wounds and takes away our iniquities so that we can stand before you as though we were perfectly righteous and had no sin in us. And we praise you, Jesus, that you did this for us. Amen.